I want to consider some uh, thoughts here tonight from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and uh, we'll begin in verse number 11 here tonight. And uh, again, we're seeing a little bit of a transition that takes place here in chapter 2, and again, not really a transmission out of the uh, overall umbrella of holiness, but a transition towards a particular expression that Peter uses concerning those to whom he is writing. So we're going to consider here tonight uh, Peter's command to the beloved. Peter's command to the beloved. And again, we'll just start in verse number 11, which talks about the dearly beloved. And I uh, will read there towards the end of the chapter. Verse 11 through verse number 23. Follow along with me if you would. Uh, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme, or as unto governors, as unto them that are sent from him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so it is the will of God that it be well doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering longfully. For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here too are ye called, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, Either was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. I want to consider here tonight Peter's commands to the beloved. Let's consider these thoughts from this chapter, but let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you again for your word here tonight. Thank you again for this time we can meet. Can ask that you bless this time as we can. Uh, consider the will of God here tonight. Help us again to see it clearly from the scriptures. Help us to be uh, blessed in understanding it and uh, help us again to seek to practice it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be looking at here tonight three commands God has to the dearly beloved. He starts this section of scriptures addressing the believers there in a way that, again, other New Testament writers uh, use there. He addresses them in verse number 11 as the dearly beloved. The dearly beloved. Now this is an expression, really is, again, expression used commonly in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. There are over 100 references to the word beloved in the Bible, and uh, they're mentioned here both in the Old and the New Testament. If I was to ask you here tonight, again, what book of the Bible uses the word beloved the most, 
Um, I suppose most of you might say 1 John in the New Testament. But it might surprise you that an Old Testament book uses the word beloved a lot also, and even more than that in the New Testament. And so I'd like to look at a little short Bible study considering the beloved. First of all, what, do, what does it mean to be beloved? Well, let's turn to, if you would, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, this is the first reference to the word beloved in the scriptures. And again, maybe again, this reference here in the Bible might uh, maybe uh, be one that maybe one might pass over. Again, maybe when it comes to the expression, the beloved. But again, the word beloved is a word of affection or intense endearment for someone. And again, you find this expression used here in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and uh, verse number 15 and verse number 16. So let's go ahead and read through again these. Uh, again, as you follow along here, it says, If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, if the firstborn son be hers that is hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, uh, which is indeed the firstborn. Again, uh, you see the word beloved here used first in the Bible. And again, it deals with a family and deals with, again, uh, two sons, uh, uh, two two wives here in the family. Again, a very strange situation, maybe in general. But again, it mentions here the beloved and it mentions the hated and Again, when we think of the beloved, you think of extreme, again, affection or deep affection for someone. And so, again, the Bible uses the expression here in Deuteronomy chapter 21, the beloved. And again, it mentions here, again, this expression used in the home. But let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Here's the second uh, reference here to this, again, this uh, reference uh, of the beloved in the scriptures. And again, there are Many different references in the Old Testament, over 40 references in the Old Testament to the beloved. But here's another one, again, where you're maybe already familiar with, but maybe you're not. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse number number 12, the Bible says, And of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, and the Lord shall cover him all the day. And she dwell between his shoulders. The Bible uses the expression, the beloved of the Lord. The beloved of the Lord. There's certainly, again, the, this expression used in the Old Testament concerning those loved of God. But it's an expression of those that are loved. Again, this, again, this use here extends over to, if you turn to the book of uh, Song of Solomon there after the book of uh, Proverbs. You have the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, this is where you see again the expression used oftentimes in the Old Testament. It's an expression used between a spouse and another spouse. And uh, you find here in the Bible, this expression used a, a number of times here in Song of Solomon. Again, I'm not going to look at, uh, again, all these verses. I think there's 20 some references in this uh, this shorter book of the Bible, again, this um, Bible, uh, again, this, this particular book again here. And uh, you see again this term used in, in uh, a lot in this chapter. 
uh, especially chapter 1 and 2. But uh, let's just pick up in chapter 2 and, and verse number 1. It says, My beloved is like a roe, as a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind the wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. And it mentions verse number 8, the, the voice of the beloved. Verse number 10, My beloved spake, and he said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Verse 16, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Again, you see this, again, this term beloved throughout this particular, uh, again, book of the Bible. But uh, let's turn uh, to chapter 7, verse number 10. I think, again, this expression beloved shows a mutual love for someone. Again, you'll find this expression found in the Old and New Testament. But here you find in Song of Solomon, it says in verse number 10, it says, I am my beloved's and his desires toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the field. See, beloved, again, my beloved, my beloved's. Again, you see this expression used in, in spousal relationships. You see it again in relationships between God and the children of God. Isaiah, again, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and other places, even the book of Psalms used this expression, beloved. He giveth his beloved sleep. It mentions in Psalm 127, verse number two. In Daniel, it talks about David, who is greatly beloved. And again, Gabriel mentions that concerning Daniel. But it's also used over and over again in the New Testament. I'd like you to see a few references here in the New Testament. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Again, we use the term Christian often in the, in the New, New Testament. And uh, we use that in New Testament churches. We use that in churches. We talk about Christians. But you see, again, in the, in the writing of these letters, this term, the beloved, the brethren, uh, the beloved, again, especially used by different writers. Every major New Testament writer uses this term. We see it's used with Paul here in uh, Romans chapter 12 and, and verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Dearly beloved. Yeah, again, uh, talks about those in Romans, beloved. Philippians, he does the same thing. And other passages in, in, the, in the Paulinian epistles, you'll see him do the same thing. James does the same thing. Let's turn to James chapter 1. Every major New Testament writer uses the, the term beloved. And again, someone says, why do they use this term? Because I think they want individuals that are born again, those that have been saved by grace to understand their position before God. They are loved. They are loved much of the Lord. And they love the Lord. James chapter 1 here and verse number uh, 16 and also verse number 19. You see this term used again here. James chapter 1 verse 16. Do not err my beloved brethren. Verse 19. Wherefore my beloved brethren let us let every man be swift to hear slow to speak. Slow to wrath. James uses this expression. My beloved. Or dearly beloved. James uses it. John uses it. Again, I'll just have you turn to 1 John chapter 4. Again, 
throughout the book of 1 John, you'll see again this term used again concerning those that believe, those who have been saved by grace, those who have eternal life. First uh, John chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And you see this again over and over in the chapter, verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You'll see it more in this chapter, in these chapters, the uh, book of First John. Jude uses this term even. Turn a little bit, little book of Jude, just one chapter. It uses this term uh, right off there at the beginning there. It talks about Jude, the one who wrote it. And then he addresses his audience. He says in verse number three, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so Jude uses this term also. And uh, there's other, again, references there in the book of Jude to this. And the Lord Jesus uses this concerning Jesus himself, and you'll find that where he talks about his beloved son, whom he is well pleased. But we see this term in the book of 1 Peter. And so again, let's turn back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. As we consider the, the term beloved, it's again expression used by a spouse to a spouse. It's again a, a, an expression used by the Lord to those whom he loves. The beloved are those who are dear to God. They are greatly loved of God. They are divinely loved. And they are purposefully loved. And Peter mentions them here in this book of the Bible. They are the scattered, the persecuted, and the loved. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. We see again Peter's again addresses to the beloved. And again, that's the address to whom we are giving this message here to the, to the, tonight is to the beloved. And he gives them some commands, and we want to talk about them. There are three general commands he gives to the beloved here, and we'll see them in the first three verses of this passage that we read here tonight, and we'll consider them. First of all, it mentions here a command to abstain, and that's found in verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The first command is to abstain. We see in, 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 in verse number 12, we see again the second command is to maintain. It is have your, having your conversations honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. There's again a command to maintain a good testimony. And then finally, there's a command to submit. In verse number 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king supreme or unto governors. And it goes on from there. But I want to consider here tonight these three commands, and we'll cover each one of them here uh, in some detail. But uh, let's consider here tonight the appeal to abstain, first of all. This is a command to abstain. This is based on what? Well, look at verse number 11. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain. He addresses these individuals not only as the beloved, but also as strangers 
and pilgrims. What is a stranger or pilgrim? Again, according to Strong's, it's a resident foreigner. We should be, again, familiar with that. I mean, uh, most of you, again, are considered, I mean, have, uh, have some thoughts and some understanding of, of residency. Um, I'm a citizen of the United States. There are a lot of missionaries that go out from the United States and they decide and they want to be, they want to get a, a permanent residency in another land. But there'll always be a resident foreigner in that land. For instance, Jim Wine and George Wyatt both have permanent residency in South Africa. They're citizens of the U.S., but they are residents in another country. Again, if we think about this in the Bible, again, it talks about us being uh, pilgrims and strangers. We are residents, if you would, in this world, but we are citizens of heaven. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We are residents here in this world, but we are also citizens in heaven. Again, that may be hard to understand, but again, spiritually, we are, again, a part of another country. You have a different citizenship. You might say I have somewhat a dual citizenship. I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20 the Bible says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conversation is in heaven. Again, we are, in a sense, resident foreigners in this world. We're here, but in a sense, we really don't belong here anymore. After we got saved by grace, we are Again, different residents. And again, as residents of another country, uh, we have different rules that we abide by depending on our country. And so we get to see a command to, again, these, uh, again, these individuals, these people that are the people of God, as it mentions back there, verse number 10, it says, which in time past, you were not a people, you're now the people of God. And as the people of God, and as strangers and pilgrims, the Bible Encourage us, first of all, to abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain from fleshly lust. Now, again, we're going to try to define that a little bit here tonight. But again, it'll take a long time to really define that. It probably could take a whole message to define that. But let's turn to chapter 4 and uh, verse number 2 uh, through verse number 4. This will help, I believe, understand what it means, again, to abstain from fleshly lust. We are to live differently than the way we, were, that we used to live. And again, we'll see this here in chapter 4. It says in verse number 2, it says that you should no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For in time past your life may suffice you to rot the will of Gentiles when they walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelries, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the excess, same excess of right, speaking evil view. I mean, it mentions here, again, individuals there that are now living differently than they did in the past. And so again, we see in the Bible, again, the Bible says to abstain from fleshly lust. 
Again, someone says, what is a fleshly lust? Well, it's a bodily lust, or it's a mind kind of a lust that we might have. The lusts of the flesh are mentioned here in detail. If you turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5, and these are lusts we need to abstain from. And the word abstain means to hold away from, to stay away from, to keep away from, to, to put away with. And again, these are the lusts that are mentioned, I believe, here in Galatians chapter 5. And let's just pick up in verse number 19. These are the works of the flesh, which can become the lusts of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it mentions these, these fleshly lusts. We can lust in different areas, and again, there's a whole lot of them listed here. I'm not going to go through them. I think someone put them down as uh, 17 different ones here mentioned here in uh, Galatians chapter 5, but each of these lusts are, are lusts of the body or lusts of the mind. You know, there are sexual lusts. There are many other kinds of lusts. There are, again, if you would, body lusts. There are eye types of lusts. There's the lust of the eyes that's mentioned in the Bible. There's, again, different kinds of addictions people are involved with. There are things that people see. There are things that people uh, should watch or maybe shouldn't watch. And the Bible encourages Christians to, to stay away and keep themselves from these different kinds of lusts. Someone says, why, why do we have problems with those? Well, look at verse number 16 and verse number 17. It says, this I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For well, the flesh lusts is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things that you would. So there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And there are lusts that we should stay clear of, and stay away from. Some are mentioned there in 1 Peter chapter 4, others here in Galatians. And again, they overlap, and uh, certainly we could talk more about them, but I'm, I'm going to encourage you to, to abstain from fleshly lusts. Lusts that are wrong, lusts that are evil, lusts that are sinful. And so the Bible encourages us, first of all, to avoid lust. Peter commands the dearly beloved, those that are strangers and foreigners, to avoid lust. Secondly, avoid, he again commands these individuals to continue to keep a good testimony. Verse number 12, it says there, back in our text, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12, it says, having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so his command is there to maintain a good testimony, to keep an honest testimony. It mentions there to begin with having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles. And each of these scattered believers was to continue to maintain an honest testimony and also mentions a good testimony, they, that they by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So if we maintain a good testimony, it can affect a 
person's life. You'll find that in the next chapter. We're not going to look at that here. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1 and following, you'll find that, again, if, if, a, if a woman, a wife, keeps a good testimony, she can affect, again, her husband and is even, I believe, getting saved by maintaining a good testimony. We should have a main testimony. We should have a testimony of, of shedding light in a dark world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 tells us that we are to be lights in this world. And so we see a command to abstain. We see a, a command to maintain. And then we're going to consider here thirdly and finally, and I'm going to try to be brief on this here, somewhat here tonight, because we'll talk about this further in, in, in greater detail. But uh, we should also, we see a command to submit. In uh, verse number 13, it says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme or governors as unto them. They're sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now we see Peter again instruct the beloved to abstain and maintain and submit. Now how many of you like to yield? How many of you like to do what somebody else would have you to do? Again, we, we come to a stop sign and we see the yield sign there. We, we have to yield. We see the, there's a yield sign. We've got we to gotta stop there. There's a stop sign. We've got to stop there. But in reality, our flesh would rather indulge than abstain. In reality, we would rather do our own will and do our own thing rather than submit. Pharaoh didn't want to submit to God. I don't believe there's anyone in general that really likes to submit to anyone. How many of you like to submit? In other words, if the boss tells you something to do, do you want to say, oh yeah, I want to do that for sure? Especially if it's something maybe you don't want to do. Pharaoh of the Old Testament didn't want to submit to the will of God. Jonah, who was a prophet, didn't want to submit to the will of God. David, who was a man after God's own heart, didn't even submit in all areas of his life. Submission sometimes is hard, but we find in this passage there's a call for us to submit. You know, in reality, we always hear a lot about maybe the submission of children. You've got to submit. Hey, you've got to submit to your parents. Wives, you've got to submit to your husbands. And those things are true. But I want to consider some scriptures on submission maybe you haven't thought about much. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. We'll look at some, some passages that deal with common areas of submission. And again, the Bible teaches us to submit, but Christians are called to submit. They're called to yield. They're called to do the will of God. They're called to fall into place wherever they are to fall into God's kingdom. They're to do His will, not their own will. They're to follow, not lead. In other words, they don't decide what they're going to do. They decide based on what God has told them to do. Here's a good verse on submission. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. The Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. And then verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So it says submit. But it's not just a 
you know, for certain people, they can submit yourselves one to another in fear. That's everyone, every Christian is called to submit. There's a universal submission out there. It's not talked about a lot of times, but we are to submit to the Lord. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Here's another submit. It's a universal call to submit. And again, people don't like to submit. People don't like to be told what to do. They they don't want to yield. Again, to be submissive, people think it's to be passive. Maybe again, some think of it again as being doing uh, something you don't want to do. But uh, here's another call to submit here mentioned in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13, verse number one, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Everyone is called to submit. Everyone is called to submit. You know, people don't understand this, but Christ's life on earth was one of 30 years or so of complete submission to his Father's will. Complete submission to his Father's will. Submit is a civic duty. Submit is a Christian duty. And so we see in this passage, if we turn back to 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, there are areas of submission that are mentioned in the book of 1 Peter. And I just want to mention five areas where we're called to submit. We're called, first of all, to submit to government. Mentions that in verse number 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme or as unto governors. We're called to submit. We're called to, to, to be yield, if you would, to the government, to government laws, to government orders or ordinances, as it mentions. The ordinance is an order. Submit to the government. But also submit, secondly, it mentioned in this passage, submit to your employer. Or in this case, it mentions your master. In verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. You know, verse number 13, it mentions, Servants, be subject to your masters. You know, the word servant could easily be translated as slave. Slave, be subject to your masters. Slave or servants, be subject to your employees. Again, an employer, an employee relationship is to be one of submission. One submits to the other. The Bible mentions here. And it mentions here, not only to the good and to the Gentle, and sometimes we'll have again individuals that we have to submit to that are, are decent, great bosses, wonderful bosses, etc. But also mentions to the forward, and the forward isn't someone who's kind, the forward isn't someone who's good. But it mentions again for these individuals in those days, there were a lot of Christians that were slaves in reality in this world, but they're also servants to God. Anyways, I want to mention this, you know, two areas. It mentions submit to government, submit to your, your employer, to your master, or to your boss. But also mentions here a little further down the text is submit to suffering. You know, in verse number 21, it mentions, For even whereunto we were called, 
because Christ also suffered us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You know, Christ, as he followed the will of God, he endured suffering. He submitted to suffering. He submitted to wrong suffering. He submitted to government suffering, religious suffering. Again, the Bible, again, encourages us as, as believers to submit maybe to the persecution that is set against us, even by the government. As is mentioned in this text, it mentions in verse number 20, for what glory is it if when you have been buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. You know, verse number 20 is basically saying you didn't do anything wrong and yes, you're suffering. You know, there are people sometimes that suffer by the government or by others and don't deserve it. And yet the Bible says that we should be willing to suffer wrongfully like Christ suffered wrongfully. So submit to, again, uh, maybe, again, enduring suffering that you don't deserve. In the next chapter, and again, we're not going to look at this here tonight, but again, it mentions, again, uh, the need to suffer, uh, submit here as a, a wife to a husband. It doesn't man- mention, again, more than, again, your, your own husband, but it says in verse number one, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if anybody obey not the word, they by, may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. And so there's a need for wives to submit to their own husbands. But again, we look at this chapter and might emphasize that a lot in the first few verses of this chapter and certainly well to do. But it says in verse number seven, it says likewise. What does likewise refer back to? Submission. And again, this is a different kind of submission, but this is a a husband's duty to submit. And this is to submit to the will of God for a husband. It says, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, I want to mention this. Again, the Bible encourages the wife to submit to her husband in uh, basically choices. And things to do. Um, and it goes through and uh, it talks about those details and more, more specifically in verse number 5 and verse number 6. Uh, and then, then in verse number 7, So likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto your wives as unto the weaker vessels. So again, someone says, how does a husband submit to his wife? Say, they never do. You're wrong. The Bible teaches you submit here in verse number seven. You submit by dwelling with her according to knowledge and by giving honor unto her. So if she submits to you, you submit to her by you. What are you doing for her? You're dwelling with her according to knowledge. And I'm dwelling with my wife according to knowledge. And any man is dwelling who's married is to dwell with his wife according to knowledge He's to submit there. He's to get to know her, dwell with her according to knowledge, and give honor unto her. To give honor to her. Now this is a role of submission. Just like Jesus submitted to his Father's will, we are called to submit. People think it's strange, you know, to say, well, men shouldn't submit. 
Christ submitted his whole life to his Father's will. Turn back to our text there. There's a lot of different submissions mentioned here, and we'll look at them in greater detail uh, down the road here, Lord willing. But again, I just want you to know that submission is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. There's reasons we should submit. We see in verse number 13 that one of the reasons we should submit is because it mentions there uh, we obey the Lord in submission. Verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Because the Lord would have you to do it. We obey the Lord. We again, why do we submit? Because it'll silence people. Verse number 15, it says, For it is the will of God that with well-doing you'll put to science the ignorance of the foolish. And so as we do the will of God, people will see you as a light. You're different in this world. You'll silence your critics by submission. And you'll be following Christ in submission. In verse number 19, it says, This is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God enduring grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if you have been buffeted for your faults, that you take it patiently? But if you do well, if you suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even whereunto ye have been called, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You want to follow in Jesus' steps? You want to submit. You want to yield to the will of God and the way of God. Again, living in opposition to a corrupt government might seem what these individuals might want to do. But they were to submit to, again, the government, just like Jesus submitted to Caesar and to, again, those other governing authorities. Peter's instruction to the beloved is simple. Three things. Abstain from fleshly lust. Maintain a good testimony. Submit and yield to God and to governments. We'll close there here as we consider the word of God here tonight. Let's go ahead and pray.